I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Twelve Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to Twelve Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, covering it from a gambling perspective, advanced statistics, and contests. This is Brian Conger. Thanks for joining us. This week's going to be a little awkward. It's going to be a little weird. A lot of injuries going around in the conference, which is a bummer. I'm seeing a lot of quarterbacks. Uh, uh, with a big Q, big question mark by them when we're looking at some of these rosters. But we're going to break down week five and week six, and we're coming at you from the Vivid Seat Studio. That's right, the Vivid Seat Studio. Download their app and use the promo code Overtime, and you will get $100 off of your first purchase of tickets, which is a really good deal. So if you're going to your school's, you know, whatever, do it. Get there. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Rob Bowen. What's going on, Rob? The uh, beta rank went above 70 percent against the spread last week Woo, buddy looking hot all right <laughs> it was a crazy week for beta rank uh it was funny though because a non out of the it went 31 i think of 57 or something along, like it, i'd have to go back and look at the exact numbers but um it was below 50 percent in the pac-12 because of the endless number of injuries in the pac-12 I got you. And oh, by the way, we got a lot of inquiries on, hey, you guys putting up a podcast this week. We will continue to put these up on Monday. We just we had some we had some holy days. We had some and some some days of vacation that uh, that we want to take care of. So um, thanks for bearing with us on this Wednesday. This will come out on Wednesday night. And I am also joined by Mr. Max Meyer. What's up, Max? Not much. Uh, USC will not be losing this week. So happy about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely get into that. Uh, we're going to cover week five and then preview week six. A couple housekeeping items. You can follow us on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio, 12 PAC Radio. You can subscribe for free on Spotify, man, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, you name it, we're out there. And uh, and lots of good written content on our website, sharpcollegefootball.com. Max Meyer over at Sports Illustrated Gambling is doing great stuff, and we try to share that on our Twitter account as well. Let's talk about general impressions, guys. This was an interesting week. It's uh, I, I like when the conference games get a little bit more manageable in terms of the slate, where there's fewer games that we can really dive into it. Max, what stood out for you most? So um, let's start with Friday night first. Um, I was actually really, really unimpressed with Cal's defense against Arizona State. And I know I picked Arizona State against the spread on the pod, but I just I couldn't believe the poor tackling from the Golden Bears. Uh, it seemed like they had a lot of trouble defending the zone read, whether it was uh, defending tailback, you know, Benjamin or quarterback Jaden Daniels and Arizona State's offensive lines improved and they got their senior center back and true freshman uh, Donovan West, who was at center, moved over to right guard. And it seems like that that's made a big deal. But yeah, I mean, Cal can't really afford to have 
um, regression on defense just because especially with Garbers now out uh, for a while and going down to Modster, it just seems like that the defense is really – they don't have a lot of room for error. And there was a lot of error uh, in Berkeley on Friday night. So that was definitely one takeaway. Um, another, I Stanford c- could be the worst team in the Pac-12. And I know they beat Oregon State, and it was a tough spot. But I, I really, really thought Oregon State should have won that game. They actually um, they ended in Stanford territory on eight of their nine drives in the game. Uh, they were scoreless in the first half, but three of their possessions uh, reached the Stanford 30 yard line. They just had two missed field goals. And then um, the first half ran out after back to back sacks. And I, I just, I think Stanford is such a mess and kind of, I, I, I'm, I was trying to find any way to back them this week against Washington because Washington, I feel like under Chris Peterson has one of these weird road performances every year where the, where the, the team just, it, it, I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but it, it usually takes place in the state of Arizona. Yeah, I was going to say, that's coming next week, Max. <laughs> yeah, but I was still trying to figure out if Stanford could be that um, underdog candidate uh, this week, but I, don't, I, I just can't see it. Stanford's offensive line is bad. Um, they and after they got up twenty one nothing on Oregon State, and then and I think they were leading twenty eight seven in the fourth quarter, and they just uh, they just like crumbled. Um, and the the defense is really poor. I was actually pretty. I was really impressed with Oregon State's offense and, and actually their resolve in, in getting back into the game. But then Stanford uh, made a, a field goal as time expired. But at least we still got the cover. And actually, Oregon State second half. Uh, it was Pickham when Stanford was up fourteen uh, nothing. I think at the ha- yeah, it was fourteen nothing, and that was my biggest bet of the weekend. And that was a nice cash there. Um, I'm just trying. To, I was um, USC. I didn't even think Washington played that well. Yeah, and it it just seemed like Washington was like this boa constrictor that was like slowly strangling any life that USC had. It just felt like no matter how close that game was on the scoreboard that USC never really had a chance in that one. And that's kind of surprising given that Washington didn't have their a game and yet they still won by two scores. Um, was really, really impressed with Utah's bounce back effort. Um, they, they're just so physical and, and the secondary really bounced back. I, I was impressed with how Julian Blackman and, and, J- and Jalen Johnson, like how that secondary did a really nice job on Washington state's offense. Um, and then you guys can definitely talk more about Arizona UCLA than I can, but I was impressed with, um, the backup Gunnell. Yeah. Greg Gunnell really showed through. I thought, and on, on the UCLA front that Chip Kelly made some, um, drunk and questionable decisions in regards to when he should go for it on fourth down again, uh, including 30, like on his own 35 yard line, which was quite interesting. But, and I should congratulate all of us, by the way, we are all above 500 now against the spread. And by congratulating us, you guys have been there for a while. I have finally caught up <laughs> on the, on the season. So we're all above 500 now against the spread. Rob, what, what stood out for you most, uh, when you were taking a look at this past week? I mean, so a lot of what Max said. I mean, I thought the uh, the USC Washington game was interesting because UCLA just played. I mean, not UCLA. USC just played terribly um, in the game, and a lot of that was that um, Washington really dropped back into coverage. And I mean, they let USC behind a line that has been dysfunctional for years 
rush for over 200 yards in the game. Um, but it didn't matter because USC's offense um, with Fink last week and then also, I mean, with for long stretches with Daniels and Slovis is just throwing up 500 balls to, to Pittman or St. Brown. And, you know, Washington took that away. And, and it was it's really the only card in, in USC's uh, in, in USC's deck at this point offensively. And um, they were willing to, to give up the rush yards and just, you know, constrict on the big plays and keep USC from moving the ball quickly. Um, but even with that, they still I mean, Washington didn't play well enough. They, they needed three three picks, including a, a wildly inexplicable bad pick from from Fink at the goal line. Um, where he wasn't pressured to cover. Um, and I, I think that, that, I mean, Washington's Washington's up to 15 in the model. Um, you know, this is going to be, this is shaping up to be, if they, you know, if everybody, if everybody takes care of business, that matchup with Oregon is going to be, you know, the matchup in the Pac-12 this season. I thought, as Max pointed out, Utah, Utah has been sleepwalking through the first couple of weeks and, and, you know, got caught at USC. I thought that sort of woke them up, and I, I hope for the Utes um, and all the hopes they have on this season that it really did wake them up, and that they that they they keep playing like they did against Washington State um, because they're they're probably not good enough at this point to just you know have a couple of bad nights and, and make it through the pack, the rest of the Pac-12 South unscathed, and they still have that date with Washington sort of outstanding. Um, but I thought they had a really good game too, and really exposed Washington State's defense really badly in that game they had some really big plays um against that washington state defense that looked really bad for the second week in a row uh i thought i think oregon state is shaping up to be i mean it is the year of jonathan smith as the play caller because oregon state is number one in the pac-12 on offense at number 13 in love it they they are number 124 (laughs) and the very last team on defense (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's going to leave and become like the offensive coordinator for the SEC and see that it's a promotion. I think <laughs> like Jonathan Smith, I mean, he's an alumnus. So, I mean, they're, I mean, I'm sure they're hoping to keep him. If he gets any kind of defensive turnaround going, you know, and it's, I mean, we talked about it coming into this season that there, that was at least a year off. We thought personnel wise, but yeah. um, like they've really, they've got something going on offense. Uh, and I, I thought it was interesting. Some Oregon state Twitter, uh, folks, including some of the, the beat writers were suggesting that it was really time to switch quarterbacks. And I was like, no, no, I, I've seen this movie where you have a good offense and a very bad defense and you blame it on the quarterback. Like it's not the quarterback. <laughs> he didn't even throw like he hasn't thrown a pick this entire or I think it's no, like one or two picks this entire year. Right. Luton looks yeah. fine. Oregon it, State has one turnover this season. That's crazy. Yeah. Country. No, they're they're like you don't change court like the court like he's doing great in having you know, having to start out in terrible field position all the time because his defense always lets someone score. Um, yeah, don't overreact, Oregon State fans. Like, just just enjoy the offense this season and hope for the best. Um, and I thought, yeah, I mean, UCLA looked. I mean, going in, it wasn't just with uh, Tate out, um, and Arizona's offense looked very different <laughs> with, with Gunnell versus Tate. Um, but J.J. Taylor was out in that game, too. And, and UCLA, 
um, really couldn't get it really couldn't get it figured out against Arizona, uh, which I thought was I mean, a little surprising. Um, they were getting held up a little bit by some of their preseason projection, which is a lot on, you know, still on some of Moore's, you know, really terrific recruiting. But um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I came out of it thinking like, all right, like it is going to be showdown time in the north. Uh, I think it's in two, three weeks, you know, the 19th, Oregon and Washington. But the south at this point, I mean, Utah looks in good shape. Arizona state might be in good shape. I thought Max, you were dead on about Cal. Their defense is really regressing from where we thought they'd be. Colorado is still in it. I mean, UCLA might be the only team that you look at and say like, they're not in it. Maybe Arizona in the South. It's, it's amazing. And I love the way that Utah stomped on Washington state. I took, I watched that whole game and then about two days later, took a look at the box score again because, you know, this podcast and I almost had to get a cigarette right afterwards. because It was just like, oh, they threw the ball. You know, they, they were able yeah. to move the all, like everything that you wanted. You know, Brian Thompson is emerging as a legitimate pass catcher out there. It's not just these, you know, quick passes to the tight ends. I mean, it, it is fun. And even when you take a look at the way that they handled USC, right? Uh, and this is last week. Don't run up the middle. You're going to get crushed in the middle. Just the way that Andy Lug- Ludwig was able to at least try to, to come up with creative ways of getting around those edges. And he did the same thing. There was nine um, running backs. Pe- people actually had a carry in this game. Nine players. That That is insane. So he's just trying to find creative ways to get the ball distributed in areas where he thinks he has an advantage. And if you've been a fan of a team that doesn't have a great offensive coordinator that is not creative, man, is that a breath of fresh air. So, um, so you know, smoke them while you got them, Utah. Um, I hope you guys keep it going. Um, Real fast, because I want to get into the games that are coming up. And as we, again, cover the games and preview the games, I know we have a lot of new listeners from Utah and Colorado and some of our uh, podcasts that we work with. Welcome. Um, we're going to go in and preview the week six games, and then we'll kind of cover the games that those teams had played in the previous week in a little bit more depth and put it into context for their upcoming matchups. But real fast, Rob, what, who are the top three teams in the, um, in the Pac-12, according to Beta Rank right now? So uh, number one is Oregon. They come in at number 11, uh, and they're good on offense, number 33. Oregon has the number four defense. I mean, it is just the uh, Avalos, like I was wrong. It's working. <laughs> 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 like I, I sort of had some questions about that hire. I didn't think he was great at Boise State when he was there. Um, turns out I was wrong. He really just needed some terrific personnel, and they're rolling right now. Washington is at number two. They're at number 13, or no, sorry, 15. Number three may seem as a bit of a, a surprise, but uh, it's Arizona State at, uh, at 23. Huh. Um, that's two solid road wins yeah. uh, for Arizona State. Um, and it's not – the offense is okay at number 49. That defense had a pretty good game at, at, at Cal. I mean, some of that was, of course, that Bowers got hurt and then um, – you know, both the play cowling and the quarterback play went down the drain for Cal. But yeah, I mean, Arizona state, like they're, they would, despite an inexplicable loss to Colorado, you would say like they, they look pretty good. No, absolutely. And I'm waiting, Rob, we'll, we'll give it a few more weeks, but if Devad monster was the Devad monster that we just saw in this last game, you you could just send me a, a you know, a gift card to Starbucks or something just oh because gosh, I called dude. that for you last year. No, you were, <laughs> I mean, come on. Like that play cut, like the, the, this, oh, I hate it when this happens. It's like you get the backup in and the offensive coordinator is like, we need to make it easy on the backup. We should run the ball. And the defensive coordinator is like, these idiots are just going to run the ball. Um, so they run the ball. 
two down, you know, two straight downs, put yourself in a third and long. And then you're like, oh, like this guy hasn't thrown much and didn't get many reps all week. Let's have him pass in third and long all night. Like just so stupid. Bo Baldwin. Come on, Bo Baldwin. Get it together. Give him, give the guy some screens at least. Like, I mean, I, I am more than willing to like have the Devin Monster conversation, but I want a fair, I want a fair game. (laughs) (laughs) Right on. Well, Hey, Hey, thanks for the, the rankings there uh, from beta rank. And let's get into our pac 12 preview right after this i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together i didn't want to do another stomp you out speech it opened up so many more doors the show is called the The Deal. deal listen to the deal Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. All right, we're back. Going through and previewing all of our week six games and then dipping into week five and kind of putting those performances into context with the uh, matchups that we have right now. And let's start with Cal, which is an 18 point, 18 point underdog on the road at Oregon. And Max, when I first saw this line, it was 15 and a half. It's bumped up two and a half points already. And I was about to grab it. And then I realized that Chase Garbers is injured and Devad Monster is going to be the starting quarterback. What say you? Well, I feel like this line has gone up mostly or not mostly, but some of the reason why is people saw Modster absolutely uh, struggle when, when coming in uh, against Arizona State. I just think it's a really tough situation for a backup quarterback to be thrown in in the fire like that uh, from injury. And I think actually with a week of practice and a week of prep that he'll be better. I'm more concerned about the Cal defense, but I actually think – um, with Oregon, their ground, their rushing attack has been pretty lackluster this year. Um, and uh, Justin Herbert, the quarterback, uh, he, they do a lot of zone reads, but he never keeps it. And I actually think that's going to work out to Cal's advantage, just because with Daniels and Benjamin last week, they were they were really um, hesitant. Uh, with the zone read just because Daniels is a threat to run it or Benjamin's a threat and, and they had trouble accounting for both those guys. But with Herbert, since Herbert never keeps those zone reads and it's pretty much just handoffs up the middle, they don't even really attack the edges that much. I think that I, I kind of like this as a bounce back spot for Cal's defense. Um, the offense though, going up against Oregon's defense, that definitely makes me nervous I just think 18 points is a lot, and I know it's at Autzen, and Oregon usually plays better there. Um, Oregon's coming off a bye, which is nice. It's just really tough for me to lay those type of points, one for a Mario Cristobal coach team and a Marcus Arroyo offensive coordinated team. And then I, Cal was kind of lucky getting to 4-0 and uh, with all the close wins that they had, and it's, it felt like the Arizona State game was a, some regression. But I still I, I just I, I think it's too many points. And I also lean the under in this game as well. I see this as like a twenty one ten type of game, something like that. 
I feel you on the under. I got to figure out 18 points is a lot, particularly with Cal's defense. I know there's been some regression. Rob, I want to hear your numbers real fast on that. Um, but, but even so, I just, 18, whoo, whoo, buddy. I think one of the things to keep a lookout for, and one of the reasons I think this is going to be an under, is the thing that drives me nuts about uh, Mario Cristobal is this idea of we're going we're gonna to impose our will on the other team. We're going to go and do the, do the thing that we do well, and they're, they're not going to be able to stop it after a while. And at some point you go, you don't have to run it up the middle every time. <laughs> like You can be a little bit more creative with your play calling. And I think that's kind of what you were talking and referencing, Max. Um, I can just see... Oregon's going to win this game. I don't see a scenario where Cal wins the game, but I can see a scenario where Oregon wins the game, but they do it in a way that isn't as efficient as it probably needs to be, um, where they're just kind of doing the things that they want to do and not the openings that the game provides them. Um, but I, I could be totally wrong. Now, Rob, you had mentioned that Oregon's number 11 top ranked team in beta rank right now. What do the numbers say about their offense and their defense? So this game, this matchup of let's take the Oregon offense against the Cal defense first. It's the number 33 offense against the number 29 defense. Um, what Oregon does well is they do they 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 are very good at short passes um, and getting the ball out. And, and Herbert has been really terrific this year um, with his accuracy. They also don't they also don't uh, go three and out very often. But they're they're not. You're right. They're not great running the ball. They grade out an effective rush at 68, but they're 17 in effective pass. But that goes against the Cal defense that is just matches up fairly well there. Like they are, they're Cal's Cal's offense against the run is number 56. That's not great, and they ha- really have regressed against the run. But still, number 16 in effective pass. Um, so this 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 is a this is actually a fairly good matchup for Cal on this side of the ball, even where their defense has fallen off to. Um, but I, I still expect Oregon to be able to put up points because they're probably going to have pretty good field position in this game. Um, because on the other side of the ball, it is it's the number four defense against Cal's offense, which is grading out better. But some of that grade is you know the Ross Bowers grade. So. Um, it's the number four defense against the number 40 offense. What Cal does well is, is drive efficiency. They, 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 when they score, they tend to put together long drives. They're not a big play offense. They grade out at 56 on explosive drives. Oregon really contains big plays. They're number three at containing explosive drives. Um, what Oregon excels at is they are number two in effective pass. They're number 10 in effect. I mean, they're really good at both. Let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> 10 in effective rush. Um, Cal's really a better, a, a team that's better running the ball, even, you know, with that, uh, the, 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 the Bowers numbers where they were throwing it, you know, airing it out a little bit, um, like say it'll miss. Um, they're number 30 in effective rush, number 59 in effective pass. I, if like this feels like a lot of points, Beta Rank, Beta Rank has it at, you know, with the home field, Oregon should be a nine and a half point favorite. But Beta Rank really doesn't see injuries, um, and it's not going to catch up to Cal quite yet on having a new quarterback in there. Uh, I I don't know. I I really struggle to see how Cal's going to put up points against this Oregon defense. Like I think that they could with what they do well, which is drive the length of the field. This is going to be really hard to go the length of the field against this Oregon defense. Max, one of the things that I'm interested in is Oregon's offensive line against Cal's defensive line. 
and well, I'd say they're front seven because I want to include Cameron Good, who we all talk about Evan Weaver. And in, in the last game, he had 15 tackles like he always does, <laughs> including a number of really key ones. Um, but Tevin Paul and Cameron Good and that front seven, they have that ju- that number one Juco kid that came out as at a linebacker like how, how do you think they match up against an Oregon offensive line that we knew was experienced but looks like they've held up this season? Well, so the last game we saw of Oregon was against Stanford, and I was at and Stanford's defensive line got the edge on Oregon's offensive line that game. Now they did have uh, or they didn't have center Jake Hansen. Uh, he was out for that game, and, and he's expected to be back, and that shifted the offensive line. They put Throckmorton at center from right tackle and they had their backup um, Brady Aiello in at right tackle. And it just seemed like it kind of messed up with the flow kind of like with the injuries last year. Um, Like I, I think it was a Sewell who got, who missed like the final four or five games and Oregon's offensive line was just a mess after that. Like, I feel like when they have their five guys all healthy, that it's a, it's a really nice offensive line. But if there's like one missing piece, that's where things really start to struggle. Um, but now that they, they have all five of those guys back, they're also getting healthier at wide receiver. Like they get, uh, Mike, uh, they get Pittman, um, who's the younger brother of the, of USC's Michael Pittman. And, and this is Micah Pittman. Uh, they get schooler back at wide out. So it just seems like Oregon's getting healthier and that, that Garber's injury, I Garber's looked good, like legitimately good this season. Like, yeah. So that, that's definitely a bummer. Um, I think Cal good is their best pass rusher. Um, and I, and Arizona state's offensive line actually looked really good. I thought against Cal and, and some of it was with getting, uh, their senior Cabral back. Uh, and I think he was named PAC 12 offensive lineman of the week actually. But yeah, I, I think, I think Oregon's offensive line does have the slight advantage here. I just, it's, it's tough because they, Oregon doesn't run the ball well, because of their vanilla play calling, because Herbert never, you know, uh, takes it himself on zone reads because they so often go up the middle and they're going to be faced with a lot of third and mediums and third and longs if they can't establish an effective run game. And that's where the Cal secondary, I, I think, can really make some noise. Okay. All right. I'll take the points. 18's a lot. And I, I, by the way, like I know I kind of was hammering Mario Cristobal and and the offensive play calling. I still think this team is awesome. Like I am really, really excited to watch them play Cal because um, even though Cal's regressed a little bit, this is still an excellent defense and this will be a fun matchup to see how Herbert moves the ball and whether or not the running backs can step up and figure out ways to get around um, a pretty aggressive front seven. So I'll take the points. Rob, what does Beta Rank have the line set at? It has it at nine and a half. Oh, okay, okay. Um, so, who are you taking? You know, I actually I, I'm going to take Oregon here, um, just because I I, I think Cal really is going to I think Cal's really going to struggle offensively in this game, um, and I I worry that their defense might actually there's there's the, the model is still only six a little over sixty percent in season data right now, um, so some of Cal's defensive number is getting held up by their preseason projection they might even have regressed more so i'm going to take i'm going to take the ducks before we move on to washington and stanford the let's talk about asu a little bit because like you mentioned rob that was a big road win and max i i gotta hand it to you so your best bets in the pac-12 were asu uh, and you know, taking the points with ASU and then taking the points with Oregon State. Both of those hit. Uh, was there anything else about ASU that really impressed you outside of the offensive line and Jaden Daniels' ability just to, to kind of get the yards that he needed to when he had to get them? 
Um, well, I, I just I have to give credit to Daniels because I don't think I don't think Manny Wilkins ever had a road victory over a ranked team, and Daniels already has two in his first five games. <laughs> so I'm just really really liking how he's progressed. Um, I love the the big play capability of Brandon Ayuk. Yeah. Um, defensively, like that that three three five, uh, the, the back end of it, it, it's really they have a lot of nice pieces there. And I think Arizona State, I think they they go to Salt Lake City in a couple of weeks, and I think that's going to be a really fascinating game, especially if Zach Moss is still out uh, because of injury in that one. Like I'm really interested to see Herm versus Whittingham. Oh man, that that score is going to be like ten to three. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna happen uh i don't know in a very short period of time because they're not gonna throw the ball a ton uh, but but yeah no that'll be a really fun matchup to check out all right so let's move on to our next game which is at 7 30 p.m on saturday number 15 washington a 16 point favorite 16 point favorite on the road in palo alto against stanford max my goodness um let, let's go back really quickly to washington's game against usc and, and try to see some context in there. I actually wasn't incredibly impressed with the play of either team, whether it's Washington or USC. I was impressed with the fact that Washington basically stiff armed USC the entire game and kept them away from winning. But when you take a look at some of the stats here, you had 180 yards from Jacob Eason. Yes. On the ground, Washington had about 200, 196 yards, but 80, 80 plus yards from Savan Ahmed, um, which kind of goes into the Clancy Pendergast special of giving up giant explosive plays for being overly aggressive. Um, so at the end of the day, Washington did what they needed to, to, to win that game and win it handily. But still, um, I just didn't think their, their performance was super impressive. I also understand that USC has a really talented team, um, that came off a big win against Utah. What do you think about Washington? How do you how do you take a 16 point spread as a uh, road favorite going into a team that traditionally has been good, but mm, really has some issues now? I just it's tough because I don't like Washington, like did enough where uh, did like just enough to win the game against USC. I didn't come away all that impressed, but I still think Washington they're better than Stanford in pretty much every facet. So, I, I mean, it, it is like, it, I mean, they are going on the road and I don't even think that um, Palo Alto is like that intimidating of, of a road atmosphere, but it's still a road game. But I just think of like Jacob Eason and those weapons shredding Stanford's secondary um, and Stanford and USC, I mean, they ran for over 200 yards and, and they still only scored 14 points and Stanford <laughs> with Davis Mills and Cameron Scarlett, like they don't have nearly as explosive an offense that USC does. And, and I, 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 I think that they're going to have a lot of trouble putting up points, uh, like a similar sentiment to what, uh, we all thought, I guess, with Cal Oregon. And I, I think it's going to be a similar case here. Um, I guess the one that I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a low possession game just because I, I, you'd have to think that David Shaw is just going to try and run the clock on like all of his drives. And, and I guess like Stanford, Oregon, when Oregon went to uh, Palo Alto, that game Stanford actually probably should have covered. It's just that the offense had like the offense was absolutely abysmal, but the defense did more than enough to cover and, and I guess that defensive line could give Washington's offensive line some issues, but yeah, I don't, it's, it's a high number. I just, I don't, I don't love uh, Stanford as an underdog here though. 
Totally with you. And when I talk about Washington not looking great against USC, I think one of the keys to gambling is don't take, you know, each game that you watch isn't as powerful as that one game. You got to take it in context with all the other games that are going on. Washington is a good team and Washington is significantly better than Stanford. It's just whether or not Stanford has enough tools to keep this close. And I thought Rob Max hit the nail on the head when we talk about Washington. The one question mark I think we still have is on the offensive line and Stanford's defensive front seven is good. Like they, they will be able to pressure Eason. It's whether or not he's going to be able to get the ball off and get him to his wide receivers in time. Um, and, and we don't know who that is, right? <laughs> we take a look at Stanford. We think it's going to be Davis Mills. There is a possibility. I think that, uh, uh, that, uh, KJ Costello is going to be back, but he's listed as questionable. He has a thumb injury. So a lot of factors here, Rob, what, what are the things that you think are going to be the keys to whether or not Stanford's going to be able to cover here? I think the I think the key on this is how how much Washington really just pivots to being able to throw the ball because Stanford's defense they're okay they they grade out at number sixty seven overall but they're twenty six against the run they're one eleven against the pass and everybody who's played them has just lit them up throwing the ball so Washington should come in pretty smart and and say hey like <laughs> i've seen this movie like let's just throw the ball um and if they do that i think that they're gonna you know eason should be able to pick these guys apart um and if they do that then i i without costello playing uh, i mean i i i think this this could get out of hand um with washington because they're their their offense they peterson really followed through uh, on retooling this offense they grade out at number 18 um and they really like they don't turn the ball over a lot i mean they're they're the biggest number that jumps out is negative drives uh they rank great out at 11 like they don't do a lot of three and outs they don't turn the ball over very often but they're, they're a balanced team they're they're 27 rushing the ball 27 passing the ball um you know, like so, they should. I, I think that they should be able to pivot. Like this isn't like we talked about with Oregon, where Cristobal is going to, you know, try to establish his masculine identity and throw the ball, or I mean, run the <laughs> ball down their throat, right? Like, <laughs> um, but I think this 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 Washington defense, they're good. They grade out at number nineteen right now. Um, they're better against the pass, number thirteen, than they are against the run, which is number thirty-seven. Um, Stanford, Stanford's offense, just even with last week, I mean, I, I want to just say like throw out against Oregon state. Cause that defense is so bad. Yeah. Um, you know, like they struggled. I mean, they really, Stanford struggles to run the ball. They're number 75 in effective rush number 37 in effective pass. If, if Costello's not there, I, I just think this could be a real tough game for Stanford. I, I mean, beta rank doesn't have it as, you know, beta rank has it as, is a much smaller spread. Um, they got Washington by nine, roughly nine and a quarter uh, in this game. But I just, without Costello, if, if Costello doesn't play, then I, I think Washington covers. This stat that stood out for me when Stanford finished playing Oregon State was Cameron Scarlett. 24 carries, 92 yards against Oregon State. I'm like, oh, my God, like everybody gets 200 yards against Oregon State <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh, two years in a row, just the offensive line hasn't been able to run block. And, and here we are. I, with that said, I think David Mills isn't terrible. Um, I, I mean, everybody, like you mentioned, you can throw out a lot of a lot of that Oregon state game. He had three touchdowns went 18 for 25. But again, that I mean that defense from Oregon state is a sieve um, at home, 16 point spread. I still think their run defense is decent. Um, 
I think that Washington scores. I'm sorry. I think Stanford scores at least like 14 to, to, you know, 17 points and man, 16 points is a lot. So I think they cover, I'll take Stanford. Um, Max, did you take a pick? I, I know it's early lines, but what do you think? Uh, I don't, I really don't like laying double digit road chalk. And I, and I feel like maybe it's cause I got burned with picking Stanford as a double digit home underdog against Oregon <laughs> yeah. a couple weeks ago, but no, I'm, I'm going to go, I'll go with Washington and I'm definitely going to regret it later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 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 I'm not. I'm not betting this game in real life, though. This, this is be like the Jacob Eason turnover game. I'll be like, throw the ball, and it'll it'll he'll have like two interceptions. And- well, as long as Washington decides to throw the ball, I feel like they'll be in good shape. Like what yeah. you were saying, because yeah, the Oregon game plan against Stanford was it was so frustrating to watch. Like they should have they should have beaten Stanford. I mean, if, if, had they thrown the ball like 30, 40 times, they would have beaten Stanford by at least like 21 points. But the fact that Oregon let them in the game, that's why I'm, I'm always nervous to back Oregon as a big favorite because uh, the, the predictable play calling really sometimes uh, evens it out for the lesser opponent. Oh, absolutely. Coaching yeah. matters. Uh, so Rob, it sounds like you're going to take Washington. I am. I'm going to, I'm going to roll the dice and go with Washington. <laughs> Two people taking 16 points of road dog. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. Um, all right. Moving on one thirty PM. Arizona is a four point underdog on the road at Colorado. I think this game is fascinating. A couple points to, to highlight. First of all, lots of injuries. We don't know if Khalil Tate is going to play. We don't know if Arizona's running back JJ Taylor is going to play. We don't know if defensive lineman Mustafa Johnson, who is likely the best uh, defensive player in that front seven is going to play. And we don't know if LaVisca Chenault, the wide receiver first round draft pick lightly, likely out of Boulder is going to play. So lots of injuries, lots of question marks here. Um, Max, what do you do with a game like this? I'm assuming it's just you just stay away, right? Yeah, I mean the people. I I have to think that the people that are betting this game, they either have inside information or they're guessing. And I and I don't like to guess, and I don't have inside information on this game, so I will be staying away. Um, I do think, like, I feel like this line has gone up just because Colorado's coming off a bye. It's being played in altitude, um, and Colorado's actually been a like. I feel with Colorado's second half surges in games that, that they are a well-conditioned team, but Arizona in fourth quarters, the past two games, they, they've looked really good as well. Um, I mean, I, I, even if, even if all the injury, like even if all the injured stars don't play, I, I feel, or if they do play, I feel like this is a touchdown game either way. And with the uncertainty, I mean, I'm always going to go with the dog and the uncertainty and always take the points, especially if it's over a field goal. Okay. And then, Rob, let's talk a little bit about Arizona's win over UCLA. So they won 20 to 17 at home, low scoring game. But again, freshman, true freshman quarterback, Grant Gannell was filling in for Khalil Tate. He was a last minute scratch in that game. And Gannell performed pretty well considering, right? Yeah, absolutely. True Although, I, wait, 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 we should mention everybody performs well against. UCLA secondary, but still, so so did Grant Canal. I mean, for for being his his very first start, uh, you know, like getting to go against a Power Five defense, even UCLA's Power Five defense, but in a game where you, yeah, you can throw on them, but you don't, you're you're not going to be able to rely on the running game. Um, and they didn't, and you don't even have JJ Taylor there to help you out. And I I thought Grinnell was great, um, all things considered. He had some throws where he did not set his feet. Um, 
absolutely. But I, I don't think you should focus on those. He'll figure that out. He looked a little bit scared in the first half of the first quarter where yeah. he was kind of overthrowing little bubble screens and throwing it at people's feet and then really settled in and the offense started to move. Uh, it was interesting. So Arizona had 99 yards total on the ground. That was expected. UCLA's rush defense is good. So um, I do think even without J.J. Taylor, or I would say even with J.J. Taylor in that game, Arizona likely has similar numbers. I'm sure they have a few more yards on the ground, but um, pretty decent running back core there in Tucson. And uh, it was interesting. Nine wide receivers caught passes, and that's because you're going to see a lot of bubble screens if, if uh, Grant Cannell is out there. A lot of like easy, ease this guy into the game, and let's start to gun the ball a little bit later, which kind of goes to what you were saying, Max, you know, in terms of Arizona's conditioning and uh, their ability to score at the end of games. Um, it seems like, uh, and you've mentioned this too, Rob, that Noel Mazzoni tends to try to, to get his quarterback into a rhythm and, and then they start kind of making big plays. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Arizona's defense, Rob, what, what do your numbers say about them? Because I think that's the, that's the big question on my, my end when we're taking a look at the wide receiving core of Colorado. Yeah. So Arizona comes in at number 69 on defense. Um, they're better at, containing explosive plays than they've been in the past. So they, they, they grade out at number 53 in explosive drives. They do tend to let teams put drives together, but that's somewhat of an improvement over past years, I suppose you could say. Um, and they're, they, they, they've managed to limit and reduce their, their yards per play average that, that I control for. So their play efficiencies, they're down to 36, which is all much better for this defense, but they grade out at number 68 against the rush number 66 against the pass. Colorado is a wide split team. They're number 10 throwing the ball. They're number 71 running the ball. So if you're Arizona, like you just, you, you have to figure out a way to, to try to generate some pass rush to go along with what has been the last two weeks, some pretty de- decent pass coverage. I would say though, even with the rushing at Colorado, I know they're at 71. I'm not sure if you've seen this max, but Alex Fontenot and Jared Magnum, like they're fine. I, I think they have just enough to get that, just just enough to keep the defenses honest. I think those guys are going to be really talented as the years go by. Um, but for right now, I do think they're at least enough of a threat that um, not that defenses aren't throwing a ton of people back there and just waiting for Montez to try to throw a pick or something. Is, is that what you're seeing? Well, I think as long as like Chenault's on the field, like he's always the point of focus for opposing defenses, and so that and. Montez is definitely a competent quarterback, so I just feel like that there's definitely opportunities to run the ball there with, I don't know, I, I guess they're kind of scared of the big play, so I, I guess that opens up running lanes. Um, yeah, I, but I mean, it's just, it's too, too many injuries in this game for to, for me to cap this one, so like I said, if, if I had to pick, I'm always going with the underdog if there's questions on both sides, but... I, I think that you should. Uh, everyone should stay away from this game until um, the player injuries are announced, whether they're good to go or not. Yeah, it's interesting. The one, the one key thing that we do know is that Steven Montez is going to be playing in this game, so the, <laughs> there will be points. Um, and I'm curious to see whether or not Arizona secondary is going to be able to hold back, e- even if Chenault is in the game. Players like Katie Nixon, who is really solid, Tony Brown. There's some wide receivers on the the wide receiving core for Colorado that can be a threat to Colorado. If it's a four point spread, I'll take Colorado. They're at home. They're in the uh, they're in the altitude, and uh, I just think that they'll be able to. Um, to win this game at home. But uh, I wouldn't bet on this game either. I'm totally with Max. What do you think, Rob? 
Yeah, I mean, Beta Ranks got it at Colorado is just over 7.7.02. 7.02. So I'm even with the injuries and everything like Chenault's perhaps the best player in the Pac-12. But Montez is the engine that makes this uh, Colorado offense go. And I I, th- I think Arizona could could. I mean, even if they have a good game, they could struggle to keep up. OK, here's the kicker. But we're going to get to it right after this. All right, we're back. If you're a Pac-12 fan, you have to watch this game. You have to. Chip Kelly at home against an Oregon State, the fighting Jonathan Smiths. Jake Luton throwing the ball around, a good wide receiving core. I think they're going to throw all over this UCLA secondary. Like This is going to be such a fun game. It's going to be at 6 o'clock. Oregon State is a a five-and-a-half-point dog going into uh, Pasadena and... This one screams taking like take those points to me, Max. But I'm wondering if I'm alone there. Oregon State's my favorite side this week, and I think I'm pretty sure they were. Well, actually, it was either them or Arizona State. I mean, like I I love them both, but this is probably the only side that I'll be doing for SI best bets. I just I think that these teams are pretty even. If I'm being honest, like I wouldn't have this game at more than three and a half. Um, and then I, I would actually, I'd probably have it at three, to be honest. Um, I just, I really like, I feel like Oregon state is really improved and I know the defense is still bad, but it's not historically bad. Like last year, just because they, they do a really nice job of generating negative plays, uh, Oregon state, they're tied for 19th in the country, uh, and tackles, uh, for loss per game. And, I think they, the problem is Oregon state has a lot of trouble on third down, but at least they're getting like a lot of third and longs. They just have it, have trouble stopping third and longs. And I feel like the key for this game is which, because both of these defenses are pretty horrendous on third down. So it's which defense can get the offense off the field. And I think just because Oregon state has all those tackles for loss, UCLA ranks 62nd in tackles for loss per game. And then Oregon State, they're actually the best team in the Pac-12, I think. Actually, no, Washington State's the best team in the Pac-12. But Oregon State's second best in tackles for loss allowed per game. And UCLA is 91st in the country and Oregon State's 12th. So basically what that what I'm insinuating is that I think Oregon State's going to be facing a lot of third and shorts and third and mediums and more compared to UCLA um, which I, I think will face more third mediums, third and longs with how many tackles for loss Oregon State puts up per game. And and even on third down, I mean, Oregon State, they are fourth in college football in third down conversion rate at 55.6%. And I, and I think a lot of it is just because this is a team that doesn't really often lose yards on plays. So they face a lot of third and manageables. And UCLA, they're 99th in third down conversion rate. So I, I think that Oregon State's defense is going to have an easier time getting UCLA's offense off the field than I do UCLA's defense getting Oregon State's offense off the field. I can see that. I also buried the lead. Dorian Thompson Robinson went out with an ankle injury in the Arizona game. He is listed as questionable against Arizona State and some guy named Burton. <laughs> I watched that game like, who the heck is that guy? Um, Who's decent? Who's decent? Like, you got to give the guy credit. He came in and threw the ball pretty well. He did. He, threw, will, he threw it to the opposing team, but he did throw it well. Yeah. <laughs> what were you going to say, Max? I will say this. Oregon State's had a lot of trouble with dual threat quarterbacks and the, I mean, the prime example was Spencer Sanders of Oklahoma State in week one. He rushed for over 100 yards on over eight yards of carry. 
and DTR, he definitely has his flaws, but he has the ground element and Burton is, is not that he's, he's definitely more of a pocket passer, uh, at least based off what have I, what I've saw and what I've read on about him. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And looking back at UCLA's game, so they lost 17 to 20 to Arizona and DTR had a, a very DTR game, <laughs> 17 for 33, 180 yards, um, and a touchdown and an interception. But I think one of the things that stood out for me, and this goes to your point, Max, was he was nine to 63 on the ground and that doesn't include sacks. Um, so was able to keep Arizona honest. And there was a number of times where he extended the play, was able to get that first down and man, that's backbreaking for a defense. So something to keep a lookout for if he's on that field. One of the things that really scares me about this, cause I, I really want to take, uh, Oregon State. I'm going to take Oregon State. The the thing that makes me a little bit nervous is the fact, Rob, that, <laughs> that Chip Oregon Kelly State defense stinks. No, well that yeah that, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the fact that UCLA's play calling on the offensive side under Chip Kelly. What, even like I understand they dropped like a gazillion points against Washington State. Like remove that game from the equation because that was more of a Mike Leach problem, and I think it was much less of a Chip Kelly's a genius problem. Um, just based on what he did against Arizona, a game that he really needed to win. He was going for it on fourth and one on his own 35. Um, he wasn't playing Felton in the game. His play calling is predictable. He's going to the places where Arizona's strengths were. Like It just seems as if everything that he could do to lose that game in Tucson, he did. And I got to think at some point, like he has to change his offense around to some extent, but maybe not because like here we are in year two and it's still a mess. But if he puts it together, I could see UCLA winning this game by a lot, but I just, I haven't seen it yet. So what on earth is going on with their offense, Rob? I mean, their offensive line just isn't good uh, at creating a push running, running the ball. I mean, they, they grade out at number 91 on effective rush. Oddly enough, with the two games, the Washington State game where they threw the ball pretty effectively, um, and they weren't bad throwing the ball against Oklahoma in some of that later parts of the game um, and, and the Arizona game. They ran out at 35 throwing the ball. But they that Arizona game, I mean, I thought the most inexplicable decision of Chip Kelly was that he didn't really get Felton involved until the second half, and he's probably their best player. Um, and a guy that I think a lot of people are starting to notice even towards the end for the NFL draft, um, as a guy that can really catch the ball, maybe out of the backfield, which is an important skill in the NFL these days. Um, but I, uh, the, the tough thing in this game, I mean, Oregon state, like, I mean, didn't we just have this exact conversation about Stanford? Like, Oh, Stanford stinks, but like, are, <laughs> can they, <laughs> you know, like everybody, Oregon state's going to win this game, right? Cause Stanford's terrible, but I mean, Oregon state's defense is really bad. Um, they graded out at one twenty four. That's, that's tough to buy into um, when you sort of need a win. I mean, beta rank right now uh, has this as a UCLA uh, has this as a likely UCLA win. Um, it's got them again at like just at seven points um, as a favorite in this game. I don't know that I necessarily buy all of that. UCLA is getting propped up a bit by uh, some of their pre the, the 40% of projection that's still in the model. Um, and I do worry about your right. I mean, Oregon state's offense is legitimately good. Um, as I sort of hinted at uh, earlier, they uh, they grade out at number 13 uh, this year, and they are 21 rushing the ball, 28 throwing the ball. They, they And they have two. I mean, Pierce has been, if you've watched much Oregon State, and I encourage you to, um, Pierce has just been 
or a, you know, a, uh, a revelation, I guess you could say, like we talked about him coming into the season, but he's even been better than I was expecting. Um, you still have Jefferson. Luton's been terrific this year. Um, and this offense, what's nice for them. And I think helps out their defense a bit as bad as their defense is, is their number 17 in negative drives, which is huge because they can't have three and outs as bad as that defense is. They have to be able to try to, at least if they don't put up points, flip the field. Um, and that means like that, that number of not going three and out, not turning the ball over really helps them out. But you see all defense is 52, they can they can help slow down the run. So I mean, they're number eight against the run, um, number one hundred and nine against the pass. So I I like uh, I like them to sort of like make them you know make Hodgkins and uh, Luton beach with the pass. But I don't know. I I, I tend to with the points. I, I tend to lean the Beavers here. Um, you know. Like, I, I think the model is 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 uh, giving UCLA a little too much credit for their recruiting still. Okay, um, that's it. I mean, it's crazy. There's only four games this coming week. I, know. <laughs> oh, oh, I, I have to say, well, one thing I'm a little nervous about Oregon State. So they lead the country. They only have one giveaway, and they're fourth and third down conversions. I think that there's going to be some kind of regression there soon because I I just I, I can't see as good. Oregon State does have legitimate offensive talent, but being among the best in the country at both of those metrics seems a little unsustainable to me. I see that. I can I can definitely see a scenario where Luton. I mean, that was the thing that we always joked in the years past, like on this podcast on Wildcat Radio, is Jake Luton is great at throwing the ball. We don't know who he's going to throw it to, but man, is he exciting! And he's really shored that up up until this point this year, which is pretty exciting. So let's take a look and see if they can keep that uh, going. That's a really good point, Max. Um, Hey Max, let's let's give you a little a little time to gloat here. What were some of your best bets last week? Well, I don't know if I should be gloating that much. I, I did go three and two, but the two were Maryland, Penn State, and Nebraska, Ohio State. But luckily, the other three uh, best bets cash, so it was a winning week. But oh man, the, the, maybe I should just stay away from Big Ten. Uh, um, <laughs> I can't believe game day was at Nebraska. That that was stupid because I'm like, there's no way Nebraska is gonna gonna stick with Ohio State. I've seen that team play Colorado. I'm not impressed with them at all. I, I, I thought that was a crazy crazy decision. Ohio State to me, they look like the best team in the country. Yeah, they're is, number one in beta rank right now. Yeah, first time in it like two two and a half no two and a half years since the end of 2017. Um, I mean, it was Georgia then, but I mean, like some part of the middle of 2017, like it's not been Georgia, Bama, or Clemson. Wow. Uh, I am interested to see how they fare against Michigan State, and I, I think I might bet Michigan State in that game, though. Definitely a little scary going up against the Buckeye Freight Train. But for best bets, um, no, I'm, I'm glad that three and two. So now I am 16 and 10 on the season for SI Gambling and two and oh when betting the Beavs. Uh, <laughs> took them as a touchdown underdog at Hawaii and at four, four and a half against Stanford. Yeah, let's keep that train going. Three in a row, hopefully. So pull through, Beavs. Um, and again, everybody's above 500 in terms of our picks. And I, I should mention, before we talk about the California bill, that when we'll do like two minutes on that, um, there's only three people left in our Pac-12 Eliminator pool out of 54. So congratulations to everybody. Everybody moved on. I know it was a 
a terrible, terrible week when Washington State lost and ASU lost both in the same week. So um, keep getting those picks in. The only host that's left is Rick DeNice. So if Rick DeNice wins, um, we don't have to pay out our prize. But if he goes down, somebody's going to get a gift certificate to the uh, the Step Up website so you can buy tickets. And uh, just to go back on our records last week, so and these are against the early spreads, which we've uh, we kind of do our early spreads and the spreads uh, after after they've moved. But I went four and one, so finally had a good week. It would put me over five hundred. I'm eighteen and sixteen on the year. Max, you are tearing it up, my man. You are twenty one and thirteen against the spread. You went four and one last week. And Rob, nineteen and fifteen. You had a you went two and three against the spread, but are still above five hundred. And of course, beta rank behind you with the seventy percent uh, against the spread. Tell us one thing about. Beta rank day coming up either next week or the week after that, and why it's so important for your model. Well, because it's the end of having any preseason data in the model, and this now differentiates. I mean, it used to be that S and P and Beta rank were the ones that didn't have any preseason data in there. Um, Bill Connolly now keeps the preseason data in all season. Um, so Beta rank day is when uh, it's it's all real. It's all the real data, um, and it's it just sort of depends on uh, how much special teams settle down by the time by the time we roll out next week. But um, next week it, it'll be even if I don't have it 100% in-season data, it'll be 90%. I usually just sort of say, like, forget it, let's go all in, and just uh, the special teams is usually settled down by now. But it's, uh, it's and, and by that point in the season, too, most teams have settled into where they're going to finish, unless they really fade out late, um, like sort of Colorado did last season, or really surge, like USC did in 2016 down the stretch. Um, most teams are going to sort of finish out like within plus or minus five of where they are next week. Wow. Okay. Um, let's cover real fast the California law, which is really important to pack 12 teams. Uh, stepping forward, you know, like trying to get some guys paid for their likeness and whatnot. Rob, what, what happened? What does it mean? And what do you think? So uh, Gavin Newsom signed in uh, to law the bill that uh, the uh, bill that would allow California players uh, at California universities to uh, cash in to be able to uh, receive monetary benefits for endorsements and uh, on their likeness. So this is people have been running around saying like crazy stuff about this, that, you know, like the the universities are going to be on the hook like this makes them employees like that is that is not the case. This is. This 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 could be as complicated or as big as you know somebody saying to Justin Fields like hey come sponsor Pepsi, or I mean not Justin Fields because he's at Ohio State you know like I I don't know none of none of the California none of the Matt quarterbacks Fink. at California yeah Matt Fink none of the quarterbacks <laughs> at California schools are tearing it up like who's gonna who, who's gonna endorse um, or it could be as small you know as like you know Dorian Thompson Robinson you know endorsing some local car dealership or something along those lines um there's a lot of i think people have been misstating that this could really hurt women's sports i don't think that's the case um you know this doesn't this doesn't affect anything that the universities do it may cut into some of their their own sponsorship deals and things like that but again i don't think like the universities right now are mostly taking that money and building absurd facilities as a non-monetary way to compete if boosters find that they can direct money directly to the players then they may do that (laughs) 
<laughs> instead. Um, and people are sort of also saying like, oh, and I, I mean, I don't mean to offend anyone by insinuating that players are getting paid, but players are getting paid already by boosters in college football. So shut up. Um, no, come on. Come I, on I mean, really, that wouldn't happen. People are like, people are running around saying like, oh my gosh, like the best teams are going to get the best players. I'm like, dude, the best teams already get the best players. Like, what are you talking about? How is this different? Um, yeah. And th- that, that kind of stuff. I just, I don't think it fundamentally, there may be some unintended consequences out there. I don't think that the, the ones that people are throwing out are sort of along those lines. Cause as it is now, like people are saying like, what if a super booster decides like they want to turn, you know, a school into a, a powerhouse. I'm like, what a, Oregon and Oklahoma State already happened, right? Like that can happen in the current system. So I don't know. At this point, I'm surprised that David Shaw doesn't hawk like gold, you know, gold bars or gold coins or something. Like when I'm when things get risky, I invest in gold. <laughs> so I'm curious, Max, if from you're his, from his bunker, yeah. Max, uh, what would be what would be some some products you'd like to see uh, some USC players singing? Oh, um, hmm. Well, I, I mean, definitely not uh, USC tuition. Hopefully not. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't want any more parents to, you know, get caught up in any scandals there. Um, I don't know. I, I'm interested. Well, I just thought it was pretty funny to see Larry Scott in the Pac. Well, maybe not Larry Scott directly, but the Pac-12 condemn it. Um, I thought that was interesting. I actually feel with the fair pay to play acts, I think it's really going to coincide or really not, maybe not really coincide, but with the new transfer rule with how players can redshirt after four games, I think that that actually could like the, this act could lead to more transfers down the line. And I I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, I think we've already seen it. uh, Some uh, happen already uh, this or this past season. And this season too. So, but I, I feel like college athletes that they should be allowed to prosper while they're in college. Um, I mean, there are several athletes who are incredible in, uh, collegiate athletes and they don't get a chance to really profit on the next level. And, and I feel like as long as you're doing so in college, you, you should be able to take advantage. And, and I mean, like Larry Scott makes over 5 million why King Jones made multiple millions per season. <laughs> There's no way that those two are, are more deserving of making money than, than our Pac-12 athletes. Uh, anything else, Rob, on that front? No, I mean, there's going to be a showdown. I mean, the NCAA is going to challenge this and say that it violates the Commerce Clause. So um, keep an eye on keep an eye on how many other states pass laws like this in the interim. It's not going to take effect for four years, 2023. So wow. plenty of time for, you know, for the lawyers. And, yeah. yeah, for the lawyers involved. I saw that Florida just introduced a similar bill, so it'd be uh, interesting to see if it passes there. Um, all right. Yeah, well, I, mm-hmm. Oh, and I would say if you're interested in reading more about this, uh, and I'm not promoting him just because he's SI, I think he's the best sports law analyst in the business, but I would read anything Michael McCann. He, he really, he's had a couple pieces on this. He really makes it easy to understand um, with any, any sports law topic and so it, that's if you just want to go into more and, and learn about what could possibly happen go, going down the road hey max you can plug whatever you want especially if you get sponsored you know if you if you, if you get sponsored. <laughs> i know you're not in the state of california you can plug whatever you want. but no that's that's a good <laughs> suggestion because we read some of mccann's stuff for the arizona legal issues and and he was pretty strong so um so good suggestion 
Um, cool. Well, thanks for tuning in. We will catch you next week, Monday, as always, uh, aside from this week. Thanks for bearing with us. Thanks for everybody that asked us if we uh, had, had just quit. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are still here and we will continue pumping these out. Please make sure to share it. Uh, we are getting a pretty solid following now. So thanks to everybody that's tuned in and we will catch you next week.